the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. As we head into Hour 3, it's a delight to welcome back into the studio a privilege and honor Rabbi Pinchas Salu. She is the head rabbi at Congregation Beth Tefillah here in uh, Scottsdale on Shea Boulevard, where he always likes to say all are welcome. Uh, religious, not religious, Jewish, not Jewish, observant, not observant, maybe the better way to put it. And uh, he is also the host of the Rabbi Alush podcast, heard on Apple Podcasts. His last name is A-L-L-O-U-C-H-E. And he does these weekly podcasts uh, that anywhere from three to five, six minutes or so at the most that uh, I myself have to listen to over and over again, uh, each one, to make sure I get as much as I can, because there's a lot in those, uh, shall we say, four and a half minutes on average. Rabbi Elush, welcome back to the studio. Thank you so much, Seth. That's and welcome a, back to the like Galus. You just came back from that's, Israel, that's, yes? That's again. Right. Again, this morning. But it's uh, it's a pleasure to be back. You were there for good reasons, I hope, and had yes. a good time, and all is still yes. holding forth. Yeah, uh, yeah. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, welcome back. Good to see you. Good to have you. I um I want to talk to you about your podcast uh, this week. It be- it's titled "Judging Begins Within." Uh, and it plays into the uh, Bible or Torah portion of the week that we'll be reading tomorrow, which is roughly begins at Deuteronomy sixteen eighteen. Uh, it has the word "judges" in it. Shoftim, if I'm mm-hmm. saying it correctly, which is "judges," right? In the That's plural. Correct. It's one of the most interesting Torah portions because there is so much in it, and almost all of it seemingly clear. But we'll get to it. Let's start with your podcast this week, uh, Rabbi. You begin by talking about how we are always being watched. You um, you cited a study that says on average perhaps we're seen or put on camera something against our will perhaps 75 times a day perhaps. That's right. On uh, the streets of the world, in the supermarkets and gas stations that we go to, that's what the study says, 75 times a day on average, and that's in America. I don't know about other places in the world. Probably more. Probably, Probably more. more because there's a certain civil libertarian instinct here or at least a little bit more of a privacy instinct right. that pushes up against it. But it is interesting. Cameras we don't even know exist. Uh, hidden, uh, not hidden, disguised, not disguised. But we're watched 75 times a day. We don't think about it. But now having heard that, I think people will think about it more. They'll probably even look for it more. But what's interesting about that, as you were pointing out in your podcast, is once you learn how watched we are, we start thinking a little bit differently about our behavior. And you kind of transfer for, transferred that point into it's not just physical cameras that are watching and observing us. God watches us, too. That's right. And not just an hour a day or five hours a day, but 24 hours a day. And um, that in and of itself should suffice to ensure that our behavior is at its best, and at the same time, to ensure that when we roam, whether the streets of the world or the rooms of our home, we act in a divine way. Yeah. The immediate thought that comes to mind, Rabbi Alush, is what, 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 what watching are we more concerned about? 
You know, uh, do we care more about the fact that we are watched by God 24-7, or do we care more about the fact that our fellow man is watching us 75 more or less times a day? That's really the question. There's an old quote. You probably know it well. It's hard to pin down who originated it. It's been credited to a lot of different people, but it's that character is who you are when no one's watching. That's well said. That's very well said. It reminds me of that uh, Jewish Talmudic quote, that speaks about one of the great sages um, that experienced indeed the the aftermath of the destruction of the temple uh, in the first century CE, Rabbi Yochanan was, what is, was his name. And when uh, he was passing, his students asked him, please, Rabbi, give us just one last teaching. And uh, he turned to them and with his last breath, he said to them, if only... The fear of people should match the fear of heaven mm-hmm. that you have. Yeah, that's right. It's an interesting thing. We're trying to impress fellow human beings, even fellow human beings we may not know. I mean, the age of social media has uh, expanded and complicated much of that. And we spend so much more time trying to do that than we do trying to uh, please, impress, or be. Uh, looked upon kindly in the eyes of God, sometimes so much so that the two might even be in contradiction, trying to please the wrong people or the right people for the wrong reasons. That's right. And that's that other famous saying, right? We can't please all the people all the time and so on and so forth. But I would add another layer to this. I would say that when we try and please people, then our behavior will constantly change because people change. And our circles of people, our social network changes too. Yeah. So um, if I am five years old, I will try and please different people than when I'm 15 years old or when I'm 25 years old and so on. Well, if I try and please God, then nothing will change because God has the same values whether I'm five years old, 25 years old, or 55 years old. If God tells me to not steal, to not commit adultery, to not murder— behave in this and this way, then that is true whether I'm 5 years old, 15 years old, or 17 years old, or whether I'm in America, in France, or in China for that purpose. You like to talk about how we uh, relate and other religions relate with each other as a symphony, where each part of the symphony, symphony has its own instrument to play and its very important role to play. Same too, I think you would say, with individuals. And they can't maintain their pur- – they can't determine their purpose. They can't maintain their individuality. They can't become uh, who they are supposed to become. They can't become – a phrase I hate, but people will understand it – the best versions of themselves uh, if they are constantly trying to please others and comport their behavior that way. So I, I'm picking up in your message that we talk about that great Elie Wiesel book, uh, Souls on Fire, and he tells the story of uh, – there's one of the Hasidic rabbis of yours says that there's only one question you'll be asked when you uh, meet God in heaven, and that is uh, not why didn't you become more like Moshe or why didn't you become more like Pinchas. The question you'll be asked is why didn't you become more like you? Mm-hmm. Yes. Very good point. And, you know, it also reminds me of what my beloved rabbi would say. I don't know if we've mentioned this in the past, but he would say the difference between a 20-year-old, a 40-year-old, and a 60-year-old is that the 20-year-old's big question is, how can I fit in? Yeah. The 40-year-old says, you know what? 
I'm just going to be myself. The 60 years old realizes that no one was looking at him in the first place. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. You learn that, don't you? So we learn that with time. But if our question was not how can I please man, but how can I please God, then uh, my life wouldn't change from the age of 20 to the age of 40 to the age of 60. That's right. And and you are right. Nor with your morality. That's correct. Nor my set of values and so on. But I, I will also say that it's not just the God up there in heaven, but it's the God within. To use your phrase, the best version of ourselves. What does the God within, what does our soul, what does our best have a self? Per- and we each are here for a reason, right? That's for right. For a purpose. That's right. And we'll never find it if it's not godly, but rather humanly, mm-hmm. right? Or, or, or geared towards impressing other people rather than impressing something higher than ourselves, yes? Exactly. Exactly. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, it does take quite some time to find that yeah. soulful purpose. Yes, sure. I think it begins first and foremost by asking what uh, talents and skills were we given by God and then actualizing them. But it also depends on our ability to open ourselves up to the opportunities that God presents in front of us, whether it is an opportunity that I just experienced because someone fell right next to me mm-hmm. on the busy streets of the world, or whether it's a job offer or maybe even a phone call asking for help. Those opportunities that I also have to be open to in order for me to fulfill my purpose in life. Here's a question I didn't think I'd ever ask you, and you probably have never been asked, and I'm going to pose it to you because it just it gave me a thought, especially with the imagery of the symphony, and we're all supposed to have our own instrument. I've been known, I, I have been gifted, uh, or privileged is the right word, I've been privileged to know some very gifted musicians mm. in, in, in life. And uh, you can become a very good musician. Great musicians have to practice, but they are also, there's no question, born with a certain thing that very good musicians, no matter how much they practice, will ever achieve that level. It's a combination of a gift you were given with practice that makes you great and very goods who weren't born with that will never be able to practice up to that level. Those people in that gifted class who were born with something special and have become great, I've known a few of them who at certain points in their career have said, you know, I'm just tired of this, I'm done, it's too much, I want to go do something else. And I've always wondered, as a moral question, but are they not obligated to do with that gift what they were given, and are they not harming the world beyond them by keeping that gift from the world. I have to take a break. I, I bet you've never been asked that. I wonder if you might distill on that when we come back. Sure. Okay. Sure. And maybe Great you question. have been. Maybe you have been. Rabbi Pinchas Solush is my guest. He is the rabbi at Congregation Beth Tefillah, the head rabbi at Congregation Beth Tefillah. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Rabbi Pinchas Alush is my guest. We have him in on Fridays when he's in town to just kind of ease us out of the uh, the quotidian uh, uh, po- political and other stressful things of the week to get us more into a Sabbath-type orientation for the weekend. And he is, as I say, the host of the Rabbi Alush podcast, available on Apple Podcasts, A-L-L-O-U-C-H-E. Make the question I asked you right before the break a little more generic. If someone is born with a certain gift, and we all know people who have been, and probably almost everyone is born with certain gifts of some kind or another that not everyone shares, and they have to nurture it, nurture it and nurse it and practice on it, do they have an obligation? Do they have an obligation to uh, maintain uh, the exercise of that? Uh, not everyone may find it exciting day in and day out or year in or year out 
to make a living or make a hobby of the use of that gift that they were giving. But what is their obligation when they do discover that they have something? I think of this particularly, as I was saying, with regard to um, musicians who are virtuosos. Right. And it's a great question. If they are capable of continuing to play music at the level that they're accustomed to playing music, uh, yes, then they almost have no right to discontinue that talent. And the reason for that is because their talent is not theirs. That's it. It's God's. That's it. God lent it to them. Mm -hmm. And as long as they have it in their possession, Mm -hmm. they must use it because God gave it to them to use it. Yeah. Otherwise, he would have given them given that talent to someone else. Yes. yes. So that really is the spiritual answer to this question. Um, I, I also think that, uh, you know, there are times in which we can almost redirect or, or refigure how we use that talent. But to give it up altogether, I think, is a travesty not just against human, human beings, but against God himself. I thought maybe you might even say sin. Yes. Okay. Yes, that's a strong word, but I would use sin in this. Yeah, because it's stealing from humanity something God gave you to give them. That's how I think of it. That's Um, right. Do you want to talk about in your podcast of the week, which is titled Judging Begins Within, talking about as we switch into the study of this week's biblical or Torah portion, that we are to put judges at our gates and what the gates might mean beyond just physical barriers that we think of when we think of borders and outposts. Right, right. so that is that classic commandment, as you said in, Seven in this week's portion yeah. in Deuteronomy, that judges and officers you shall place at the gates of your cities. But it's not just the gates of our physical cities, it's the gates, uh, gates of our bodily, of our life cities. And as the Jewish commentaries explain, it also refers to the gates of this body right here. The openings to our body. openings, that's correct, which are the mouth, the ears, and the eyes. And we have to be careful what we say, what we listen to, and what we see. Mm -hmm. And that's when we need those spiritual judges to guide those organs so that we can only speak that which is good and constructive. You know, it was, just as a side note, it was Socrates' three-filter test he would ask the students, well, before you say anything, number one, is it true? Number two, is it good? Number three, is it useful? Yeah. And if not, don't say it to me. Yeah. But those are the types of offices and judges we should put that right by our mouths. Yeah. Then, of course, what we hear, yeah. negativity is usually very toxic. And what we see, we can choose to see the best in people, the worst in people. We can choose to see the positive in ourselves or the negative in ourselves and beat us beat ourselves down the question is where are those eyes directed to so we need officers and judges there too there's a phrase a, a line that says something about be careful of what you think thoughts can become words be careful of what you say words can become actions be careful of what you do what you do can become your destiny or character and right. we're Some go- say yeah. Margaret Thatcher said that. Uh, so, yes, right. It could be. It could be. It could be. Let's yeah. let's assume so for the moment. We like her very much on this show. But the, we're going in this society through a huge debate right now 
about what's appropriate for children in schools. You're aware of this debate going on, particularly at the kindergarten through higher elementary levels. Um, and and this, this is something society used to understand quite well, that there are things that are age inappropriate. There are certain things that should not be shown to children. There are probably certain things that should not be shown to adults, too. We're fast losing this point that I used to think was a basic default that everyone understood, that what is taken in by kids really matters, and it's our job, perhaps as a playoff, this lesson from the judges uh, of Deuteronomy, that it is our job to protect that, too. We have an obligation to protect not just what we take in, but what the young minds take in. That's correct. And, And you know, science proves this point, too. Not just after children are born, but even before they are born. If you walk, I think, into a baby's RS or any of those types of stores, you'll find what is called Einstein belts. Those are the belts that play classical music to the fetus that a pregnant woman can wear around their stomach so that it develops the brain of the fetus in the best of ways because apparently classical music helps helps that. Um, and I'm, I'm thinking to myself, when I first heard that, I said, wow, that's quite powerful. How come we're not as careful as we are with actually living children after they come out of the womb than we are before they come out of the yeah, womb. Yeah, why is that? And I don't know. I have no answer to that. I, it's really sad to see that, indeed, children are exposed to anything and everything when it can be very, very harmful. You know, the Jewish thought uses this analogy of a seed that we plant for it to become a tree. Do you know when the seed is most sensitive? When it is at its very early stages right. of growth. Right. That's when it's most sensitive. When the tree is fully fledged uh, and fully grown, then it's not as sensitive as it is to outside forces. But it's true for children. Mm-hmm. They are very, very sensitive, whether we can see it in them or not. Yeah. But that's, that's really what science proves today. Yeah. Very sensitive to outside forces. So we ought to be extremely careful, especially with children. Yeah, it seems to me that the gates that we are thinking about here, what you take in through your eyes, your ears, your mouth, perhaps your nostrils as well, your nose as well, <clears throat> what you take in as, as, as a child is what you will expect and have guardrails or gates or not as an adult. And it can really, after a generation, change a society. People ask how it is that we've become such a more callous society, such a more rough-hewn, in some respects, even unrecognizable society. When you look at pictures in some of these, you don't see it as much in Scottsdale or Phoenix, but when you look at some of these other cities that have been devastated by, by human wreckage, you think about what these kids were brought up on over the past generation. You can, in a generation, change a society based on not having the right judges, if you will, the right gates around what they take in. Yes, that's right. And you know, we another example, we see that in advertisements. Yeah. People who produce those advertisements yeah. know very well the right. power of right. sight. Right. When they see a Coca-Cola or yeah. a Pepsi, right. they know that it permeates even the subconscious. It's a great point. It, it, it gives absurdity to the notion that what you see has no impact on you. Mm-hmm. No one on Madison Avenue believes that. That's right. Rabbi Pinchas Solush is my guest. He and I will be right back. Rabbi Pinchas Salush is my guest. He is the host of the Rabbi Alush podcast, A-L-L-O-U-C-H-E. He's the head rabbi, Congregation Beth Tefillah, B-E-T-H-T-E-F-I-L-L-A-H on Shea Boulevard, where all are welcome, observant or not, Jewish or not. 
Uh, let's get into the Bible, the biblical portion of the week, the Torah portion of the week. Uh, Deuteronomy 16 might be one of my favorites, perhaps my favorite. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that uh, or not. Of course you can. Okay. All right. There's so much in here. Um, it's it's a, you know, let's start with the whole notion of judges and judging. You know, this is a society that sometimes tell people tells people it's wrong to judge. We can't live that way. We can't <laughs> live without judgment, can we? That's right. I mean, but it depends, of course— how we judge yeah. and when we judge. Right. And uh, there is also this notion of judging favorably. Yes, of course. <laughs> to always see the side of merit yeah. in people and in ourselves. It gives us those guardrails within this portion, though, too, on how to judge and judge favorably. Uh, one of my favorite portions in here is um, this interesting repetition of the word justice. Justice, just, excuse me, justice, justice, shall you pursue or shall you seek, tzedek, tzedek, tir dove, I believe. Question, why twice? And I always thought of it as meaning because there are ends of justice and there are means of justice. But I wonder what your take on it would be. I, right. I can quote some of the Jewish perspectives on this repetition of the word justice. One of them is because very often we know intuitively sometimes mm-hmm. what is right, yeah. yet for some reason— we are persuaded to act differently. Thus, this repetition, justice, that intuition, should be followed indeed by justice, not by something else. Yeah. There's another, a more maybe spiritual explanation, and that is that there are two types of justices, and they should be completely synchronized. The first one is the justice of human beings. Mm-hmm. And the other one is the justice of God. Uh-huh. And those two should go hand in hand. Uh-huh. I, I like it because it's it's always a curiosity when something is mentioned twice. It can also be for a double, um, uh, an extra measure of, of emphasis. Um, as we have talked about for weeks on end now, because it's just amazing to me in these sessions I do with you, Rabbi, how often I find in these portions, again, the prohibition against idol worship. It seems it's just so much more pervasive or permeating throughout the Bible or the Torah than I ever realized growing up, I suppose. Uh, it's no, no surprise to you, obviously, so schooled in it. But again, we get a reminder that uh, idol worship, yet again, for the umpteenth time, prohibited. <laughs> That's right. And <laughs> This uh, is a big concern. <laughs> it is a big concern. But if we go beyond the limit of idols being statues— of physical possessions, then we'll understand why this great emphasis on idol worship, because we are all, in a way, worshipers of something. Yeah. And we have to ask ourselves, is that something really worth worshiping? Does it maybe go against what God would want of us? Sometimes it's money. Sometimes it's sex, you know, those big, uh, those big forces of nature. And we have to ask ourselves, are we worshiping them in a way that Idol worshipers worship idols. Or another person, to go back to the very first point you were making and we were talking about within your podcast, Judging Within, trying to please other people rather than God. Right, exactly. Worshiping another human. Very well said. In many ways, that's certainly a type of idol worship. I will also add to that, and that is that maybe the difference between, or, or the way we can tell ourselves whether we are worshiping idols or not in that manner, is whether we are referring to things as goal in and of themselves or as means towards the goal. So, for example, money. Mm-hmm. Is money just a goal in and of itself? I just want to amass millions and billions just to have wealth? Or am I amassing millions and billions in order to give charity, to mm-hmm. do good in the world? 
And if uh, physical possessions are seen by us as goals in and of themselves, they might just be idols. Yeah, it's a great point about money. Um, it's not an inherently good or bad thing. Uh, it depends on the end, right? It, it, it depends on, of course, the means of acquiring it, but also the ends for which it's used. One might also perhaps make that argument, it's maybe uncomfortable for some people. I believe it deeply. might also be an argument based on war or violence, not perhaps inherently negative, obviously always regrettable, but really dependent on what it's for and what its ends are, and they must always be just. And this portion talks about that too. And when we come back, this was a short segment. When we come back, I'd like to talk a little bit about what this what this portion, what this biblical segment talks about with the rules of war and um, who should be excused from it is interesting mm. to me too. Rabbi Pinchas Alush is my guest. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. I'm Seth, and I'm privileged and honored to have with me Rabbi Pinchas Alush, the head rabbi at Congregation Beth Tefillah, and the host of the Rabbi Alush podcast on Apple Podcasts, A-L-L-O-U-C-H-E, Deuteronomy 16.18, at sec, as we lawyers say, uh, is the biblical or Torah portion of the week, show team called Judges, gets into war a little bit, and... Um, I, I took some notes on some things I'd never noticed before, Rabbi. Very interesting. Um, we are told before going to war, if you must go to war, if you have a homer vineyard, mm-hmm. go back to that first and tend to it before you take up arms or join the army. Or if you've just gotten married and haven't perhaps consecrated the marriage. Or interestingly enough, maybe there's a better word for it, if you're a coward. Mm-hmm. <laughs> really interesting. The last one I understand because it, it very clearly says because you'll put your fellow soldiers at risk, mm-hmm. right? But a vineyard. Tend your vineyard first. Mm. Right. Your vineyard or, or your home. Or your if home, you, right. If you just got married. Right. And uh, the, the, I think it's, it's a beautiful passage. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Because not only does it point that we are for life and for building and for developing our own uh, world altogether, yeah. but I think it also speaks to um, the notion of, of love. Mm-hmm. Here we are. Here's a young couple who just got married, and God says, no, no, no. Focus on love. Make sure that it uh, can spark itself yes. and then and build it, that fire. Don't make an immediate widow of your, right? That's correct. It says that. That's right. 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 And maybe even have children. Right. Create continuity. Right. And then you can deal with the problems of the world. But I also think it speaks of something else, and that is something that unfortunately we, we don't see enough in our society because we are very outward focused in uh, this day and age. And everyone speaks about doing good out there. Let's help people yeah. in Africa. Right. Let's save animals from uh, extinction. Let's let's fight uh, you know bigotry and racism out there. Th- these are all good things. But here the the yeah. Bible tells us you know where goodness begins yeah. within. Yeah. In your home you have a with family. your own spouse. Yeah. Once you can really develop that goodness within. Then you'll go, go without. Go, then go, you'll be go, a, go be a social warrior even, that, yes, that's in, correct. in the parlance of our... You know, my, my beloved rabbi, yeah. again, I'll quote him again, Adin Steinsaltz, uh, I remember that when I was just 16 years old, 
called me aside and he said, you know who the greatest enemy to you is? And do you know who the greatest enemy to me is? I'll tell you. The greatest enemy to you is you. And the greatest enemy to me is me. And I want you to remember that once you've learned how to master yourself, then you can master the world. Yes. It begins within. That's right. Everyone wants to save the world. No one wants to save himself, right? Right. Uh, everyone wants to perfect the world. No one wants to perfect themselves. Um, you had mentioned trees earlier. Right. We're not supposed to destroy trees in war. That's an interesting thing to isolate, isn't it? That's right. If we don't have to. Right. If we don't have to, we shouldn't destroy, tree, destroy trees. Um, and the reason, of course, is because trees are a source of oxygen and, and they do so much for humanity. But uh, there is a deeper, more spiritual reason. I had a feeling. <laughs> That's why we keep you in our back pocket, Rabbi. <laughs> That's why we keep you handy. <laughs> no, thank you. But uh, first, the, the Bible itself says, Ki ha'adam in Hebrew, which means man is like the tree of the field. There's great comparison between man and trees. But the other reason, maybe again, more spiritual reason, is because the tree is a constant reminder of the most basic requirement of every human being, and that is that we must always grow. Mm-hmm. Every living thing must grow. Nice. And when we destroy trees, in a way, it destroys that notion, and then we become stagnant, yeah. and we become lifeless. Yeah. And it's really a very much a symbol of life. That's right. Eitz Chaim? Eitz Chaim. That notion is mentioned quite a few times in Say the Bible. It, but Eitz Chaim means the tree of life. Yeah. Right, we are very much again compared to trees. God and His Bible are compared to trees, yeah. and um, you know, I, the the trees also used prominently during the festival of the Tabernacles yes. of Sukkot and in other areas yeah. in the Jewish calendar. Yeah. Again, to remind us of that uh, basic requirement to always, always grow. I'm going to backtrack on something because I circled it and didn't get to you, and it's the and, and I regret this. Uh, so I'm going to go out of a little sure, bit of order sure. here from the portion, if you don't mind. It's back on the idol point. This is something I wanted to run by you. In talking about the idols mm-hmm. and listing the kinds of idol worship, mentions many different kinds, including avoid soothsayers and augers, people who forecast the future, pitch pitch forecastings of the future. Interestingly, too, by the same token in this portion, we are told not to go backward to Egypt. You know, there's this interesting thing. A king should not ever instruct you, and you should not select a king for yourselves who takes you or sends horses back to Egypt. I take in this that, Rabbi, we are not to worry about tomorrow, and we are not to look backwards too terribly much either. Easily put, live the moment. Hmm. I wonder if you can uh, agree with that. Yes, uh, absolutely. You know, it reminds us. Uh, no, no. Well, okay. well said. Uh, uh, you know, to quote called. the yeah. Talmud right. again right. <laughs> in the name of Hill, Hillel the Elder. It's become a famous phrase that says that if I am not for myself, yeah. then who will be for me? If I am only for myself, then what am I? And if not now, then when? Mm-hmm. And I think, again, we live in a society where we're constantly focused on the future, you know. Yeah. We even tell, we tell our children, for example, you should do well in school so that you can be accepted in a good college. Yeah. Uh, once we get to college, oh, you should do well so you can get a first good job, yeah. and so on and so forth. And we're always living in the future. And yeah. here God says, stop. Yeah. 
focus on the now, because what matters most is the now. You know, one of the great Jewish poets was the 11th century Avraham Ibn Ezra, who has a nice line in one of his poems that says that the past isn't, the future is yet to come, and the present is like the blink of an eye. So where are we running to? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And also something about not regretting too much of the past, taking from it what it is, but realizing we left it behind. We're not going back to Egypt. That's right. I think that's the genius of God's creation of sleep. Yeah. I wish we didn't have to sleep. Yeah. We could be so much more productive. Right. But I think sleep is that reboot button. God's saying, leave the past in the past. Yeah. And address this new day with fresh eyes. Live the present. We only have one more short segment. We usually uh, do something else during it. But there's a portion here, Rabbi, that is one of my favorite throughout the entire Bible, the entire Torah, that I want to run by you. So if I can impose on you to stay with us just a few more minutes, absolutely, I'd like to do it on the other side of this break. And by not saying it, we'll call that a radio tease. People might want to tune in to come back for it. Rabbi Pinchas Alush is my guest. He and I will be right back to close out the show. Welcome back uh, to the Seth Liebson Show. Um, this is uh, an additional uh, segment, short segment, that we're doing with Rabbi Pinchas Alush because I wanted to get to one of my favorite parts of, of, of the entire Bible, Torah, where when elders of a community or people in a community stumble upon a corpse, uh, and it's a mystery as to who may have killed that corpse or how that person died, the elders are obligated, we are told, to come to the corpse and publicly declare, our hands did not shed this blood. And I always thought the most important question to be asked is, why are the elders obliged to come and say, our hands did not shed this blood? Who would suspect them in the first place? Mm. And I always took the lesson somewhere, somehow, from some teaching long ago, that it is an incumbency on the elders, the rabbis, the leaders of the community, not to dispel the notion that they might actually be physically guilty, but that they did everything they could in their power and in their lives and through their service to make sure an innocent person wasn't killed. That's how I always took it. Well said. I I love that take. Love that take. Um, I also think that the elders, being the leaders of the city, have to first and foremost ensure that people are united and that they become responsible for each other. Mm That is, I think, the first and foremost foremost task of every leader. Or, or speak of leaders in the home. Parents have to make sure that their children get along with one another, that uh, there's harmony in the home, or as they uh, call it in Hebrew, shalom bayit, mm-hmm. peace in the home. Mm-hmm. And um, in a way, when there is a dead corpse, that m- maybe means that there was no mutual responsibility mm-hmm. between people in that city, thus this dead person. And uh, I think it speaks to the core of society, if I may, that societies that are self-oriented are self-destructive. Mm-hmm. Societies that are other-oriented are societies that thrive. Mm-hmm. Here, the Bible speaks of that or hints towards the responsibility of leaders to make sure that the cities are other-oriented. Nice. And it really takes us back to how you concluded your podcast this week, Rabbi, Watched people are nicer people. Mm-hmm. Watched people are nicer people. It's a delight to have had you this hour, Rabbi. Thank Pinkhouse you, Seth. Thank, Thank you. you. If I may, I'll yes, paraphrase, you know, what uh, it says on the subways of New York City. If you 
see something, say something. Yes. Judaism would say, if you see something, don't just say something, do something. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Rabbi Pinchas, audience, thank you for this week. Uh, delight to be with you. Honor and privilege to be in your cars, your hearts, your homes, your heads, your souls. We don't take any of it or you for granted. Uh, on behalf of David Dahl, my producer, and Mr. Bill, until Monday, God bless you all, and class is dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 